We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, And I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. I'm really excited for this one, Chris. It's the old rush, week four, 2011. We'll get into it here in a moment. He's Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today sports media group. The old rush, Chris. I'm. Uh, we've we've been talking about it for a couple weeks, and it, it didn't disappoint. This one. Yeah, we. Uh, this this was the game that the 49ers sort of felt like helped them arrive into contention after being bad for a long time. Um, yep. This was a game that that I remember personally in 2011 watching this and then being like, wow, the, the 49ers might actually be good. It's not that they're, yep. they're winning games because, you know, NFL teams win games. It's, oh, they're, they're capable of being like a really good team, even though on the rewatch, 
the Eagles did a whole lot to give the game away. Yeah. And uh, they weren't quite the dream team outfit that uh, Vince Young had labeled them in in uh, training camp. But uh, still, a huge win for the 49ers in that year. And it sort of set the tone for Jim Harbaugh's tenure overall, um, particularly 2011 through 2013 when the team was really good and, and sort of mastered that Jim Harbaugh identity before things unraveled in 2014. Yeah, so if you're unfamiliar with the old rush, what we were doing is going back through, starting with week one of the 2011 season, uh, Jim Harbaugh's debut. We're just going back through and rewatching watching uh, some of the best games or, or biggest games from that from that stretch of time, uh, probably through like 2016 or so. I don't know when we're going to stop, but we have some time to kill, and this is a fun way to do it, and uh, we hope you guys... Uh, are enjoying it. Like I said, if you missed the first one, uh, make sure to go back and check it out. It was that Niners-Seahawks game to open the 2011 season. If you have not yet watched Niners-Eagles and you want to, uh, you might be able to find it on YouTube. Uh, Game Pass through the NFL. NFL Game Pass is free, I believe, right now. If you want to go in and navigate to 2011 and and find this one, uh, feel free. So let's set the stage here, Chris. It's week four, 2011. The 49ers off to a surprising 2-1 start. Their lone loss was in overtime at home against the Cowboys. The Eagles, on the other hand, you remember this is the dream team Eagles. Vince Young, before the year in training camp, said this is like the dream team. And they got off to a slow start. They were 1-2, and two, but they're favored by 10 at home against the 49ers. Uh, the Niners are coming off a weird road win in Cincinnati. And this was, I believe, at least in my memory, the first time they stayed in Youngstown the week between East Coast start times. They played in Cincinnati, stayed in Youngstown, and then played in Philly that following week. And they've they've done it every time since then with, with some pretty good success. Yeah, I don't remember other other points. I, I think they had done it previously, um, under previous administrations, maybe, but this was notable. Um spoiler alert, the 49ers came back to win this one, but so this marked the first time they won back-to-back road games since 2006. Uh, And it was the first time they won back-to-back road games on the East Coast since 2011. Um, So this was kind of a big deal. Like, this was sort of, like I said, the arrival of the 49ers uh, in terms of becoming a contender. And then after this game, they went on... uh, They went on a nice little run. They won, let's see, four... They won eight in a row... Uh, to get to nine and two, uh, they they were nine and one heading into the Thanksgiving game where they lost at Baltimore on the short Thanksgiving week, yeah. which was still crazy schedule oddity to have them go to go play that game in Baltimore. Um, but yeah, they won eight straight um, coming off that loss week two, and this was the second one in a row. So there were six wins after this. Uh, they re- returned home to thump the Tampa Bay Bucks forty eight to three, and then a week later. They went on to beat the Lions in a close game that ended late. And, of course, that was the handshake game uh, with Jim Harbaugh and Jim Schwartz. Um, but this game, I mean, it was a lot of fun to watch because, you know, Navarro Bowman starting for the first time, really, this season. And, and he's just flying around the field and making a bunch of plays on third down. Um, the offensive line, like Joe Staley, just looks completely different than he did these last few years with Kyle Shanahan. He looked like he was playing at probably 320 
Uh, Mikey Potty was mauling people. Isaac Sepawaga, the nose tackle, was getting a bunch of run at fullback in this game. Yeah. Um, which will never cease to uh, to to entertain me. And uh, and it was just, you know, like it, it was a very typical sort of sloppy grinded out game, but it had it had the theatrics of the Niners coming back from a 23-3 lead or 23-3 deficit to score three straight touchdowns. It was really Alex Smith's first great game uh, of the Jim Harbaugh era. And of course, this this season in 2011 was huge for Smith's career, his career renaissance after struggling so badly for so long. Um, yeah, it was it was just a fun game to rewatch. And Eagles fans are hilarious and they always will be. Um, Jim Mora Jr., the color commentator and former defensive coordinator for the 49ers and head coach in Seattle and Atlanta, um, just killed Jim Harbaugh and his offense for the majority of the game until they came back and won. Understandably, though. Understandably, <laughs> yeah. Like, the, the Niners' offense had 209, 206, and 226 yards in the first three games leading into this. And then, all of a sudden, they put up uh 442 and they were still out game the eagles had 513 yards but the niners were able to come back and win a um, bunch of penalties it, it was just uh a very typical 2011 49ers game which ended with probably the best play or one of the most memorable plays at least of justin smith's career i um, mean you remember 2001 he was a defensive player of the year candidate um just a total ass kicker along the defensive line like a bunch of the 49ers were back then so just just a really fun game what, what stood out to you just on on rewatching it um all the dumb shit the eagles did <laughs> like they did so many things that were just head scratching weird and the thing i was most excited to rewatch because it was it was the thing in from this game that was so seared into my brain was Ronnie Brown's fumble with 7.06 to go in the second quarter. The Eagles have third and goal at the one. They're up 10 to three. They're about to go punch it in to make it 17 to three. They hand it to Ronnie Brown, who gets hit in the backfield, and then he just try he he throws it, kind of. He kind of slings it just into the ass of an offensive <laughs> lineman. And the Niners fall on it and and recover the fumble and they reviewed it and they decided it, it was a fumble. Um, and I just remember that play being baffling at the time. I knew it was coming and I still don't know what he was doing. You have a better memory than me because I had totally forgotten about that play. It's, it's, it was like the turning point. I remembered it happening with the score different. Like if you had asked me, uh, I probably would have said it happened later in the game with the Eagles trying to ice the game. But I just remember the play so vividly because it's the most inexplicable thing I've ever seen on a football field. And I, I, I even rewatching it now with fresh eyes, I don't know what he was trying to do. So Ronnie Brown, a couple years earlier, became famous for being the Wildcat guy, right? Like as yeah, a member Dolphins, of... Yeah. yeah, with the Dolphins, they had the Wildcat game against the uh, against the Patriots. He was throwing for touchdowns. And like you said, he's wrapped up. He's about to go down. I thought when I first looked at it, like when you when watching it live or the first time I watched it, I thought he was stretching, like stretch trying to stretch the ball out over the goal line, and he's like four yards short. So it was like a hilarious attempt. 
And then they show the replay from the back angle, and he's actually trying to throw it to somebody, and it doesn't make any sense. And Jim Mora, who had a bunch of really good lines <laughs> in this game, um, as a color commentator, said he's like, I've never seen a player do that before. <laughs> I haven't seen him do it since. <laughs> yeah, like, this is something that happens. Like, it, it was... It, and it, it wasn't it wasn't like there was a wide open guy where it was a designed throw or he and this guy had worked out like, hey, if this doesn't work, I'm going to lob it to you. It was clearly like he went, oh, I need to get rid of the football. Right. Because we get tackled for a loss of one. Right. Didn't make sense. Didn't make sense then. Doesn't make sense now. And it wound up kind of changing the complexion of the game a little bit, although the Niners did wind up going down 23 to three. And going down 17 to 3 kind of changes things. Well, think about this in, too. In that so that takes seven points off the board from that missed touchdown right there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's seven. Then you add two missed field goals in the fourth quarter that were definitely makeable from Alex Henry. 33 yarders, yep. Yeah. And so that's seven plus three is 10 plus three. That's 13 points. The Eagles, the, the Eagles just took away from themselves and lost by one. Yeah, man. It was it, it just a. A strange game. That is one of those one of those times where it becomes clear why you have to have more than just the most talented team in right. the NFL. You have, to, you have to know how to win. Right. There's a there's a football IQ element to it that that matters, and like you said, a, a winning IQ that goes into it. And it was clear just watching the Eagles. Just, like and not even just these huge mistakes. It was like they were putting themselves in positions to put the game away, and then just peeing on themselves. Yeah, it was. It was so. It, I knew the outcome, and I still. I'm as I'm watching this, was like they're not going to blow it. Like there's no way this doesn't. Like it. It was pretty inexplicable to me. Yeah, uh, totally agree. They um, the. The Eagles were, I mean, obviously extremely disappointing that year because they did so much in the offseason. They brought in Vince Young. They brought in Namdi Asamoah. Um, they had all this talent, and they went 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah. And they were, supposed, they were supposed to like win the Super Bowl that year. And that was, yeah, absolutely. That was the time when everyone knew that Andy Reid was a good coach, but they all had questions about, well, Andy Reid will never be an elite coach or he'll never like be a Super Bowl winning coach because uh, clock management issues and whatever, like he can scheme, you know, as good as anybody, but nobody trusted him at that point in his career. And that was nine years ago. And now he's, you know, now he just won the most recent Super Bowl against one of the better defenses of the last few years. Um, yeah, the the Eagles thing w- was wild. The The kicker thing i've mentioned henry a couple times but david Akers going back the eagles all-time leading scorer who was cut over the summer uh and signed by the 49ers over the summer went back and missed a field goal had one blocked and the 49ers still ended up winning the game (laughs) just just like just just a lot of a lot of weird things happened happened in this one yeah it was so the Niners go down 23 to 3. Um they were lining up at the start of the second half on their first drive they go to set up a 45-yard field goal that gets blocked. 
the Eagles kick a field goal, make it 23-3, to and it just it felt over at that point. Right. It we was had all seen a, this movie before. Yeah, it was a dreary day in Philly, and the Niners, they couldn't, even when they did get something going, they get their, their field goal blocked, and the Eagles kind of cruise down, and they make it a 20-point game with nine and a half minutes left. And it just, that like like you said, it just the the Niners they were ten point underdogs, and this is sort of how this game was supposed to quote unquote go. And, yeah, and and then you get a four play eighty yard touchdown drive from Alex Smith, capped by um, Josh Morgan's post route that he, for whatever reason the Eagles blitz their safeties, and then. Um, the cornerback just sort of maintained outside leverage as if he had safety help and Morgan just sort of cruised. Um, so an easy touchdown there. And then the next drive, uh, where is it? The next drive went five plays, 77 yards. So you had nine plays, um, nine plays combined on those two scoring drives. And then that resulted, the second one resulted in Vernon Davis's touchdown, um, a short little outplay. And, Better game for Vernon Davis than than the week one game. That's true. Um, this was also a. Uh, I mean, the my, Michael Vick was just a joy to watch, he was particularly so in the first half. The, the touchdown he threw to his tight end. He made Ahmad Brooks miss badly by spinning away from him, and then and then also made Ray McDonald miss, and then found a guy found his tight end wide open in the back corner of the end zone. Um, Shady McCoy, remember when Shady McCoy was good, had a, uh, a shovel pass touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, but really this was, this was a Frank Gore game despite not getting the start. Uh, and despite being <clears throat> pretty unproductive the first three weeks of the season, he averaged two and a half yards per carry, uh, in those first three games before having 15 carries for 127 yards. Um, on a bum ankle, he didn't start. Kendall Hunter did start and played pretty well, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Had a number of big plays. Gore Although when scores... you look at the box score, I feel like Kendall Hunter had a way bigger game than he did. Yeah. Like, if, I, I, if you had asked me, I would have said, oh, man, he got like 20 touches. It was 11. Yeah. Well, 11 <laughs> touches for 100 total yards. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, Gore had the game-winning touchdown and... Uh, a bunch of big runs even after that to s- just sort of salt it away. His just first a... carry of the game was a 40-yard run. Right. After nursing an ankle injury. Right. Uh, Kendall Hunter play that uh, I missed talking about the Niners touchdown that made it 23-10. to 10. Uh, Alex Smith got flushed out to his right on one of the plays and just kind of extended it, and then Hunter leaked in behind the defense, and Smith made a really nice throw over the top of the defense and Hunter probably could have been gone, but he cut it back inside where a couple defenders were waiting and he couldn't shake them. Yeah. Uh, it seemed like if he had just kept going, it would have been six, but from 44 yard gain nonetheless, and kind of the, just a microcosm of how his day went. It was like every time he touched the ball, good stuff happened. Yeah. And it was at that point, I think rightfully so everybody was really optimistic about what Kendall Hunter could be because I sure was. <laughs> the 49ers had Frank Gore, obviously, but they didn't really have a whole lot else. And Kendall Hunter, the he was a rookie at this point, I believe, uh, fourth round pick, offered a, a completely different skill set and dynamic than than Frank. And you could see it in this game in particular. And I know he had a couple big plays in uh, in the previous game in Cincinnati too. 
but um, it was, I want to say, 2013 training camp when Hunter tore his ACL and uh, and was never really quite the same. I remember the play that happened. He was, he was making a cut right at the goal line, and his knee just sort of gave out. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was able to walk off the field. But anyway, um, Hunter never really did amount to what a lot of people thought he would, particularly after this game when he showed off. You know, the, the speed element, the quickness, um, just sort of the, the different dynamic he added to the 49ers offense from Frank Gore, who's a classic power runner, patient um, guy who can sort of, you know, not necessarily explode through the hole every time, but could could meander his way to five or six yards <laughs> when the 49ers needed him to. Um, yeah, the classic Frank Gore run is make one cut to get through the line, get into the second level, and then get run down by a linebacker or defensive back. Right. It, it That's feels just like the Frank Gore run. Right. Like stop your feet, not stop your feet, but like stop moving forward, keep your feet moving. Um, but don't do a ton of moving forward and wait for like the, the tiniest little hole to squeak through for, for that extra two yards. That's Frank Gore. And this was, this was a, a total Frank Gore game, 15 carries, 127 yards and and the game winning touchdown. And you could see at the end, like when he, he got a first down run inside two minutes when the Eagles didn't have any, any touch, any uh, timeouts left. And everybody is like going crazy for Frank. Yeah. Which is, which is typical. It's pretty amazing watching him in these games because every we mentioned this in, in in our first rewatch, but every Frank Gore carry is just a brawl. It's yeah. never he gets to the corner and then steps out of bounds, uh, and it makes it even more remarkable that he's going into his fifteenth season, right? Because these aren't easy carries that he's getting. Yeah, and and another thing that really stood out to me in this game was the way the defense adjusted to Mike Vick. Mm-hmm. particularly with just kind of containing him inside the pocket. Um, there was one sack. This was the Alden Smith's first time, first game with a sack. Um, he had one and a half, and then I think he had 6.5 over the next, or over the this four-game stretch, I believe. Um, so Michael Vick threw for 214 yards, two touchdowns. One was a shovel pass um, in the first first half and then he had 62 rushing yards in the first half and only 13 rushing yards in the second and the 49ers were just having a really hard time maintaining um keeping up with Vic but one thing they did do it looked like it was a it was an adjustment from Vic Fangio at halftime was sort of stay in the flat like if you're a defensive end stay in the flat or an outside linebacker sort of stay in the flat and then collapse on Vic slowly instead of trying to burst up field and, and beat the offensive lineman um, and corral him in the pocket that way because then he could squeak free. And and it seemed like it worked because when Vic couldn't escape with his legs, um, the Eagles offense was just not nearly as dynamic as it was, even though he still had uh, something like 200 passing yards in, in the second half. And a few of those were, were big plays to Deshaun Jackson. Um, you also forget how good Deshaun Jackson was in his prime. Yeah. Uh, it was like when they're in case of emergency play was just throw it deep to Deshaun Jackson yeah. because Michael Vick had a freaking cannon. Right. Deshaun um, Jackson, six catches, 171 yards with a the long other, of 61. The other thing about Vick in this game is the Niners has had two sacks. They could have probably had eight. Yeah. He escaped so many times. It was pretty amazing. And he played banged up. 
Um, they, his his right hand, his non-throwing hand, was uh, they, they had thought it had been broken earlier in the year coming in. It was just a contusion. He was wearing a glove. And then um, Justin Smith, uh, he hit his hand on Justin Smith on one pass, his throwing hand, and, and then it seemed like his hand was a little screwed up after that. And then later in the game, he I think Navarro Bowman rolled up on his ankle. Um, was it Bowman? I forget who it was, but somebody rolled up on his ankle and he was, he was a little gimpy. So, um, but just like watching Vic run around, um, like he was capable and throwing deep balls like that, like just you're, you remember like this was, this dude was incredibly electric and one of the most fun players I've ever watched. Um, and his 416 yards that he had passing were the second most of his career. Um, Do you think telling. Michael Vick would be better now or worse because defenses are getting better at defending running quarterbacks? Uh, I think he would be better now because the rules make it more difficult mm. to beat up running quarterbacks. Like, I'm just trying to imagine... I'm trying to imagine him in a situation like Baltimore, where Baltimore just went all in on building their offense around Lamar Jackson. Yeah. What does that exact offense look like with Michael Vick in his prime? I think... Like is he a be- I, I don't know if he... I, I think he has a stronger arm than Lamar, but I, I don't think he's a better passer. Yeah, but that I, makes I, sense. I, but I don't know. That makes sense. I think... I think... Man, that's tough because Lamar broke all Vick's rushing records right this last year. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> um, Drop my microphone. It's fine. uh but yeah well i think lamar is more efficient but i think vic is maybe more explosive i mean he he definitely has a stronger arm vic at this point had one of the strongest arms in the league yeah the way Um, he effortlessly airs out some of those throws for jackson are are, it's wild yeah i i think jackson might have more dexterity in terms of like moves he can make in the open field yeah but i think but i think vic might accelerate faster like Vic was like zero to 60 in two steps yeah it's amazing um yeah he was he was such a unique player but the 49ers found a way to to corral him um yeah Navarro Bowman really stood out he had he had a few tackles on third down of Vic too in the open field um that sort of gave you a preview of how good Bowman could be and uh yeah really fun game the one of the things that stood out to me was Philly uh, before near the end of the second quarter, they completed a throw to Macklin to Jeremy Macklin, uh, and he got hit from behind by Patrick Willis. Uh, Justin Smith was right there. The ball came out. They called him down. Uh, but given what happened at the end of the game, it was such a weird foreshadowing watching it back. Right. Um, because it was, I mean, almost the exact same type of play, and Macklin gets burned on it uh, twice in one game. Pretty and there was also the the whole narrative about uh, Juan Castillo, the, um, actually, is that Oost? his name? Castillo... Uh, I want to make sure I get his name right. Yeah, Juan Castillo. So there was also the whole narrative about Juan Castillo, who was moved that offseason from offensive line coach to defensive coordinator. 
And that was a big issue for the Eagles because he was implementing wide nine, which of course the 49ers run a version of that now along the defensive line. One of the issues that teams, four teams running the wide nine is their ability to stop the run. Um, And the Eagles just could not stop the run early in the year. And the 49ers were totally taking advantage of it. The Eagles allowed 154 yards, 138, 102 um, and 164 rushing yards to the Niners in this game. And I think that was one of their fatal flaws in that they, they moved, they, they promoted, I guess, yeah, I guess it's a promotion. They, they moved their offensive line coach to defensive coordinator to implement a new system. A and logical then, jump. And then they had injuries, uh, at linebacker and my guy, a guy I covered in college, um, Brian Roll, who's like 5'9", um, and actually carved out a better NFL career than than I thought he would, um, was starting at inside linebacker for the Eagles in this game. And, uh, and you know, he's, he's a, I guess he's an okay backup, but not somebody you want going against uh, the 49ers offense in particular because you have 330-pound Mike Upati and Dan Snyder at this point was also... Um, was also a massive guy at right guard. Um, and so you 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 don't want to have pint-sized linebackers going against Jim Harbaugh's offense when when that's what his offensive line looks like. Yeah, not what you want, as the youths say. <laughs> <laughs> he also had a huge face mask late in the game. <clears throat> Brian rolled it. Yeah. Uh, do we want to take a quick break before we get to our categories? Yeah, let's do that. Let's hear from our friends at BetOnline. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, BetOnline. NASCAR is back, and BetOnline has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. All right, so let's get to our our post-game categories here that we'll run through. But before we do that, were there any good game breaks during the broadcast? I had to watch a condensed version of the game. You watched the full one. Um, uh, did yeah. we get any good game breaks? Tony Romo, uh, the Cowboys quarterback, yeah, threw a, a pair of pick sixes against the Lions in a home loss for the Cowboys. Oh, hate to see it. Um, Calvin Johnson, also known as Megatron, had eight catches, 96 yards, and a pair of tutties. Uh, Cam Newton... Through it was his rookie year. He threw a pick six in Chicago, um, and that was that was about it. That's what I wrote huh. down in terms right. of uh, in terms of game breaks. Nothing nothing wild, ones. but the 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 Romo pick sixes were funny. Yeah, that that just very like what you'd expect from some Tony Romo game breaks in yeah. in 2011. Uh, let's get to the Twitter summary. It's summarizing the game in 280 characters or less. I wrote one this time, although I'm not sure it's 280 characters. Let me, let me do a quick. A quick oh no, yours definitely is. Cause mine is okay. shorter than that. So okay. yours is shorter than mine. So, okay. The Twitter summaries, okay. uh, the 49ers had no business winning this game, but luck matters in the NFL and the 49ers wound up having more good luck than bad in this one. 
Alex Smith was nails down the stretch, and the defense came up with stops when it mattered. All right, so mine, the 49ers took advantage of two missed fourth-quarter field goals, managed to keep Michael Vick in the pocket in the second half, and had a clutch performance from Alex Smith for the first signature win of 2011. Signature win is a really good thing to call this. Yeah. Uh, most random Niner or opponent sighting, uh, Lottamadeu Williams again. Yep. A guy I completely forgot ever played for the 49ers. Sure. Uh, Kendall Hunter isn't really random, but watching him in this game... It made me remember how good I thought he was going to be. Right. Um, and his career just never quite panned out. Uh, Ronnie Brown, Auburn legend, uh, wanted to <laughs> shout out Brent Selleck, uh, brother of 40, former 49ers, recently retired 49ers tight end. Uh, Garrett Selleck, uh, shout out to Brent. Uh, the most random niner in this one, though, was Shantae Spencer. Yeah, I, 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 I don't I, disagree. I thought... See, the, and the reason I say that is because he did not appear in the last game we watched. Right. And I thought he was done being on the 49ers in like 2009. And yeah. this is two years removed from that. So, Shantae Spencer. For me, it's uh, it's Reggie Smith. Mm. Because yeah. if you had asked me, you know, like two days ago, who the 49ers backup strong safety was... Um, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known who to, whom to say, and Reggie Smith is the answer, and we know that because Dante Whitner did not play in this game because of a hip injury. So um, the only that's reason my... I knew the only reason I knew Reggie Smith was on the team was because he blew a bad coverage in Week One mm. on uh, Doug Baldwin's fifty-five yard touchdown. Mm. I did not realize he started games. Big yikes! Yeah, uh, I'm looking this up because Brian Roll. Yeah, Brian Roll was a rookie, and he he was a six-round pick of the Eagles. So he's one of the few guys. Um, he went to Ohio State. We were at Ohio State at the same time. Five you went nine, to Ohio he's State? listed at. Um, yeah. So here's a. Everybody else talks about how much I went to Ohio State. I don't. I feel like I don't talk about it all that much. To me, that's the bit. Okay, that's the bit. Yeah. Okay. Everyone talks like you, about how much actually, Chris loves Ohio State right, and but, uh, bleed scarlet and gray, but other people are the only ones that talk about it. Right. Okay. Right. No, that's, that's definitely the bit. That's a good bit. Um, at least it is for me. I don't know. I can't speak for other people. Brian um, Roll started 13 games for the Eagles that year. I don't remember him being an NFL player. So yeah, I didn't go to Ohio state though. So. <laughs> uh, Twitter handle. Wow. This is a good Twitter handle. Roly poly 36. Huh? You want to get him on the pod? Hit him up. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> maybe Should, we'll rewatch this one again and we'll talk to Brian Roll about it. Yeah, uh, more Brian Roll content coming up here in just a moment. Let's move on to the turning point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have nothing left to say about Brian Roll. Okay, I've got I've got a lot to say about him coming up. Okay, so I have a few things down here for for the turning point, the game that or the 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 point where the game kind of uh, turned to the 49ers' favor. Ronnie Brown's fumble stands out to me just because I, I I will never forget that play as long as I live. But I think it happened too early. Yeah. The Eagles' second missed field goal feels like the right answer. Um, because that would have put them up nine, twenty six seventeen with like less than five minutes left in the fourth quarter. And yeah. it probably would have iced it. It was a thirty three yarder, and Alex Henry just pushed it wide right. 
to me the the game felt like it started to turn during the second of the back-to-back touchdown drives um i mentioned to you i mentioned this to you before we started recording there was a play after the Josh Morgan touchdown. I believe, yeah, I, had, I wrote it down. 32-yard play to, to Michael Crabtree up the left sideline. Keep in mind the Eagles are up by 13 points in the second half at this point. And Eagles fans are booing like crazy because Michael Crabtree got a gain while the Eagles are up by 13 points. Like, to me, that was that was wild. Like, I can understand, like, crowds, you know, sort of tightening up and, and not being, um, you know, I guess, not, not being thrilled at what's happening on the field. We've certainly seen that at Levi's Stadium a, a fair amount over the last few years. But, like, to flat out boo while your team is winning, it was just wild to me. And I think it, I think it did affect what was happening on the field. Like, I think it did affect the home team. Because the Eagles sort of had this, like, there was just this sense of inevitability that they were playing with. Like, they were playing, like, it seemed like they were playing not to lose uh, instead of to win the game. And they just couldn't make any plays in the second half. Um, You know, Mike, Mike Vick was able to move the ball and they were able to get some completions. But like you mentioned, like, Henry missing two field goals to to make it, you know, that would have made it a nine-point game. Mm-hmm. Um was just like just crazy and it and it almost felt like with the way I would have loved to have been in, in the stadium in that game to to feel the atmosphere and I've never been to Philadelphia and I, I think the atmosphere there is unique in the league just yeah. in terms of the intensity that the fans have there but to boo while your team is winning by two scores is wild and maybe that's because they really didn't have a high opinion of the 49ers and the 49ers offense coming in but sure um, understandably <laughs> so I'll I want to talk more about Brian Roll because he had <laughs> <laughs> It's not a joke, I do. Okay, all right. He had when when I when you look at turning points, there's the Jeremy Macklin fumble at the end of the game too, but that that to me wasn't really a, a turning point. Uh Brian Roll was called for a face mask. Uh the Niners had a second and three. There's four forty five left. They're down twenty three seventeen. They have the ball in Phillies forty two. They hand it to Kendall Hunter, who gets dropped for a loss of two. So the Niners are staring at a third and five. Uh, the clock winding under four and a half minutes uh, with the ball on Philly's 44. But instead, Roll gets flagged for this face mask. So the Niners get a first and 10 at Philly's 29. And then they score two or three plays later. Yeah. And that's just one of those plays that you, you don't really remember. It, it just because it, it's a penalty. Like, it, doesn't, it doesn't really stand out, but... The game, I think, ends ends differently if the Niners are, are forced to put it on Alex Smith in that situation where it's third and five and it's a must-have third down. Uh, so that, that to me, was was uh, was one of the turning points as well. But I, I think it's the second missed field goal. Yeah, there was also, a, I don't know if I mentioned this already, a third and seven run, a jet sweep run or not a jet sweep, a sweep to the left for, for Kendall Hunter. On third and seven. Third and seven. Uh, and it worked. And it was like sort of deep in field goal range. Like it would have been a long kick had they not gotten it, but it did work. Um, and then Frank Gore scored uh, a couple plays later to, to give the 49ers a lead. Um, things I forgot happened. The face mask I just mentioned. Uh, I didn't remember Josh Morgan having such a good game. 
He had yeah. a couple of big catches. He got I, hurt the next week. Yeah, yeah, against Tampa Bay uh, in a meaningless end of the game drive when it was forty-eight to three. It was an ACL, right? Uh, broken leg, I think. Broken leg, yeah. Yeah, he got like horse collar tackled from behind. They missed him in the playoffs. They sure did. Um, I forgot about the blocked field goal by Philadelphia, and then the two missed field goals by Philadelphia. Yeah. Like those are just huge miscues. And I also forgot Colin Kaepernick uh, checked into the game at one point here. He handed the ball off on a third and 17 on the Niners' second drive. So they, the the 49ers' offense was a mess, a complete mess in the first half. I think the when Kaepernick came in, they either had a pre-snap penalty or uh, had to call a timeout for a delay a game, right? It was like third and 12. It looked like they were just going to like do kind of a conservative running play with Kaepernick, maybe like a read option or something, uh, or zone read. Uh, shout out Chip Kelly. Um, but there was there was a pre-snap snafu, which was pretty normal, and then uh, and then they kept Kaepernick in the game for third and seventeen, I think. And but yeah, it was weird. It was weird seeing him as a wide-eyed rookie with sleeves and low tops. And that weird old-looking helmet um, yeah. before going to the new one. Um, yeah. The, the, that w- I, I had forgotten Jim Harbaugh sprinkling in Colin Kaepernick as a rookie um, to run sort of unique plays and things like that. That was, yeah. that was interesting, too. Uh, highlights during the broadcast. You have several here because Jim Mora was apparently gold in this one. Jim Mora just continued hammering the 49ers offense and some of it was unwarranted I guess I I have the benefit of hindsight and knowing what the offense ultimately looked like like what the end product was <laughs> but more I mean I guess I can I can dip into the quotes that, that I wrote down here um one of one of the gr- the great ones was I've never seen a player do that before when when Brown <laughs> threw away that weird fumble um there was there was a play or there was a sequence at the end of the first half where the 49ers have the ball. They're down by a ton and there's like less than a minute left. They have two timeouts and they're running like a very slow, deliberate, no huddle and not using their timeouts. And then uh, there's Shanahan ask. <laughs> well, then there's a play. I, th- I forget uh, what happened in the play, but there's one second left. And then all of a sudden, Jim Harbaugh decides to call a timeout <laughs> and then runs a screen to, uh, to, to, for whatever reason. He called a timeout to run a screen. And then Mora is basically apoplectic at this point. He's like, um, he's like, I'm sure that I, he says, there has to be some logic behind this. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> and, uh, that's how was, I feel about the world right now. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, Jim Moore also said, and this was based on the fact that the 49ers were averaging like 200 yards per game of like total offense during the first three (laughs) weeks of the season. He goes, the 49ers can't run the ball and they can't throw it deep. We asked Jim Harbaugh about it yesterday and he has no answers. That has to be disconcerting if you're a 49ers (laughs) fan. (laughs) Strong. Thanks, Jim. Uh, And uh, and later, before the first of of Henry's two missed field goals, he goes, uh, you kick a field goal here, you go up nine. I'm not sure this 49ers offense is is capable of scoring twice in the fourth quarter. Um, he was right. The 49ers offense scored once in the fourth quarter, but it didn't, it was enough to win because the Eagles didn't go up by nine. They were up yeah. by six. 
<laughs> so yeah, Moore was just he he was uh very, very harsh on Jim Harbaugh and and his thinking and, and what the 49ers offense looked like, particularly in the first half. And you and I mentioned it a lot, like a lot of stop routes. Um, not a lot of like getting the ball in a in a receiver's hands while he's moving. Yep. A lot of like, you know, pass it to, to a receiver who ran a route and, and isn't running. And then, you know, fittingly, uh, they start to make some plays on a post route where you hit Josh Morgan in stride and he's running on, uh, and, and scores from 30 yards out. Um, and the Vern, you know, Vernon was, was moving. He, he ran a short little out route, uh, when he scored his touchdown, but yeah, the, the Jim Harbaugh passing game didn't make a whole lot of sense. There were some classic Alex Smith, uh, throw for, for two yards past the line of scrimmage on third and eight. That yeah. happened a few times. Um, and yeah, but Jim, Jim Mora, like, you know, I, he's he's certainly not my favorite color commentator, but for these purposes uh, of rewatching a game and, and having the benefit of hindsight and knowing what we know, um, it was hilarious to hear how critical he was, and deservedly so in, in some instances, but knowing that the 49ers were eventually able to turn it around was uh, made, it, made it for some pretty high comedy rewatching this. He was tapped in to uh, the narratives of the day. Yeah. Storylines of the day, not narratives. Uh, play of the game. Uh, for you, was it... Uh, from, well, Brian Roll's face mask. I've talked about it a lot. <laughs> uh, no. Is it Frank Gore's game-winning touchdown run? the forced fumble by Justin Smith on Jeremy Macklin that helped ice the game or something different. It's Justin Smith's forced fumble for me. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably the play of the regular season. I remember most from that year. Yeah. And it's the one that just everybody, everybody knows that play. They might remember nothing else about this game, but that's the Justin Smith forced fumble. It's yeah. It's kind of what stands up. It was a one point game. The Eagles were driving, um, I think it was just, it was inside of three minutes, just outside the two minute warning. Um, and Smith runs down. What I had forgotten about the play is so Justin Smith's running out towards a bubble screen, right? And he recognizes a play, uh, from the jump. So instead of trying to go get after Michael Vick, he starts to retreat a little bit before the pass and then, and then eventually gets Macklin down some, I don't know, 15 yards downfield or whatever. What I didn't remember about the play is Macklin had the ball in his left hand uh, on near the sideline, right? Like he had he had the ball in his outside hand, which you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And Smith, sort of running from the inside, was still able to wrap his left arm around Macklin and poke the ball yeah. out. And I had forgotten that it was like in my head, it was I had it just as sort of a boneheaded play by Macklin, like. You know, his ball security obviously wasn't what it needed to be, but it wasn't like he had the ball on the inside hand and, and was being super loose with it. He just didn't know that a 300-pound defensive lineman was going to come out and knock the ball out of his outside hand. I think that was what was uh, most surprising to me in rewatching it was that Smith had the athleticism and even the speed. We knew he, he hustled and, and had a motor that was, you know, as good as anybody. But to to get around Macklin and poke the ball out with his left hand like he like he did was really really impressive, and then I also seeing the sideline erupt like it did like 
you could tell how much that win meant just from the sideline reaction and seeing everybody celebrate with Justin Smith as it happened. Yeah, it was uh, one of those things. When you go back through and you read some of the some of the quotes, um, Cam Inman of the Mercury News had a quote from Frank Gore, who had asked if this was his biggest win in his career, and he said yes, especially playing against the Dream Team. Um, look at us, the 49ers coming back from three touchdowns on the Dream Team. We're coming. You don't think that's big? Uh, and then Jim Harbaugh had um, had a quote. I don't have it down here, but he talks about um, he talks about everybody playing for each other. Alex Smith says the same kind of thing. Uh, also, Youngstown got a lot of credit. Yeah, they practiced for, for the win. Uh, Alex Smith said, "I thought it was great. It helped us focus on football, like a small training camp, spending a lot of time with teammates." And I think that means something. Yeah, well, you remember in 2011, there was a lockout, so there right. wasn't any off-season program. Yep. So this was sort of an extension practices. of training camp. Yeah. And they had one of the practices in the parking lot behind the hotel. Um, Jeez. An actual practice, because for whatever reason, the field wasn't ready. When we went to Youngstown in September, uh, they practiced on the... They had built a new field for, I think, soccer, lacrosse, and track and field. That was adjacent to the football stadium, um, which was kind of funny because it was in plain sight. Like you could be driving on the little highway next to the school and then look over and see mm-hmm. an NFL team practicing in full view, uh, <laughs> which which was funny, um, particularly like in thinking about Jim Harbaugh and how secretive he was like he oh never God, he would have done that. And never. And, and so with with maybe there being a scheduling conflict or whatever at the football stadium in Youngstown, um it's it's very much fitting and on brand for Jim Harbaugh to say no, we don't want any spies to see us. We're gonna practice behind the Holiday Inn. Um, whereas Kyle Shanahan's like, I don't care. We're gonna practice on this field where everybody can see, and then we're gonna go hang five hundred yards on the Bengals. <laughs> Which was, you know, that. Yeah. What's funny is Jim Harbaugh and Kyle Shanahan could not be more different people. Very very different humans for sure. Extremely different. Um, Jim Harbaugh said, thanks Youngstown. You've been good to us. That's as good a win as I can ever remember being a part of. I'm really proud of our players. They never flinched in a tough environment here. And there was no moment or circumstance that made them nervous in this ball game. We kept fighting, made adjustments, a great team victory for us. And you can see that, as you said, uh, in the way the sideline kind of reacted. Um, Winners and losers. Let's let's roll these through these quickly here. Uh, the first winner I had was Frank Gore, uh, playing on a bum ankle and and went out and had 127 yards, I think, in the game winning touchdown. Big day for Frank. A lot of really good tough fourth quarter runs too. Aside yep. from the touchdown, uh, Alex Henry, the Eagles kicker, has to be a loser here. He missed two pretty easy field goals. It would ice the game. Yep. Tough scene. Yep. Uh, Justin Smith, big winner. Uh, obviously forcing the fumble of Jeremy Macklin, who is the next loser here. Uh, to have that happen twice in a game, like I said, he was down on the first one. But come on, like m- make an adjustment, guy. Yeah. Uh, Alex Smith, I think, gets a victory here. 21 of 33, 291 yards, two touchdowns, no no interceptions. He did have a bad fumble, uh, but, but really... Um, 
in a, in a time where he could have pretty easily folded, and I don't think anyone would have really blamed him, uh, he stepped up and had had a huge game against a team that everybody thought was a Super Bowl contender in in Week Four. And Third. this was the first time that it was like, oh, Alex Smith can can put a team on his right arm and, and go win. Uh, second half, 13-17, 201 yards, two touchdowns. Jeez. Um, those two third-quarter touchdown drives where the 49ers really got rolling, 9 for 9, 179 yards, and, and the two TDs. Man. A nice Pretty Alex good. Smith game. Um, really good Alex Smith game. Yeah, Ronnie Brown's a loser. I think you correctly noted that one. Uh, I've never put, seen anybody do that before. Did I put Navarro Bowman as a winner? Uh, I I did, but okay. it, it was pretty easy to spot. Yeah, he was he was really good. I think this was um, without having rewatched the Cowboys and and Bengals games that that preceded this one. I feel like this was the game that sort of it was like, oh, okay. Not only is Navarro Bowman starting, but like Navarro Bowman might actually be really good on the Eagles second drive of the second half the had a, I think it was a third and two and Vic had a running lane and Bowman closed so fast and made a great ankle tackle yeah. to drop Vic a couple yards short and force the Eagles first punt since their first drive um it really really solid Devar Bowman game I think he had three third down stops uh that led to punts yeah um Andy he was Lee. also a great pass rusher in this one yeah, that that was I think his his most underrated skill set was what yes. he was as a blitzer when he was yes. healthy, yeah. um, before all of his all of his injuries. Um, Andy Lee not a good game. Uh, we mentioned really that bad. because he was a, a punting monster in the last old rush we did. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would look up Andy Lee's stats, but I don't think it's really necessary. Alden he had, Smith he had two shanks and ripped one into the end zone. From yeah. way outside the end zone, not his best, not his best effort. Yeah, um, Alden Smith, the first career, the first sacks of his career, he had one and a half, um, and really was used more sparingly his rookie season, or at least this point in the rookie season than I remember. Yeah, like it felt like he was on the field only on third down. Um, and Paris Harrelson was was getting a lot of work in base. Paris Harrelson and Ahmad Brooks, and then it would be. It even felt like on third down or even in nickel that Harrelson and uh, Alden were were rotating. Um, and obviously that changed once Alden was in the league for a little bit longer. But it yep. was, uh, yeah, it was it was interesting because Alden Smith is a first round pick, and you and you don't see that so much anymore. Where a first round pick is is a situational player, particularly someone who was taken seventh overall. Yeah. Um, but that changed pretty quickly. You had a great tackle on the blocked field goal. Oh, yeah. Good, good call. Um, loser. Uh, Riley Cooper. Do we need to explain why Riley Cooper's a loser? Nah, Riley Cooper's a big, fat loser. <laughs> I totally forgot about Riley Cooper's existence. Um, and then I saw those the, the long, flowing locks. And I was like, oh, yeah, Riley Cooper. I'm going to let, let's put him down as a loser for this one. <laughs> Riley Cooper, for more reasons than this football game is a loser, but I don't believe um, he played in this one. He was in uniform, but he did not record a statistic. No. Um, Huge loser, that guy. Yeah, Google Riley Cooper if you want uh, to figure out why he's such a loser. We don't need to dive into it, but uh, not a big fan. Um, MVP of the game, who you got? I gotta give it to Alex. 
Uh, oh, first name was, basis. Yeah, I got to give it to Alex Smith here. Okay. Uh, he was just so good uh, down the stretch. His stats over the final 24 and a half minutes of game time. Uh, stand by, I got him here. <laughs> so starting with nine and a half minutes left in the third quarter, he went 10 of 14 for 162 yards and two touchdowns. Um, the two touchdown drives, six for six, 140 yards and two touchdowns. He was he was excellent down the stretch. And this was the first game in a vacuum. I don't think he was the best player on the field in this game. But when you look at his body of work to this point and then what he wound up doing in this season, this was the first sign that he could take this team to the postseason and, and within a couple of plays of a Super Bowl. Uh, I'm going to go with Frank Gore because, okay. um, I mean, 49ers fans love Frank, obviously. And and you're pandering. And I end I'm pandering. But they, <laughs> you know, like Frank Gore was a 1,600-yard rusher earlier in his career. Was it 2009? I forget exactly when. Um, and he really struggled during the first three weeks of this season. Like I said, averaging two and a half yards per carry. And... I always remember Jim Harbaugh's teams as being able to run the hell out of the ball. Um, and to listen to Jim Morris say midway through, like the Niners can't run the ball. Like they, they need to figure out what their issues are running the ball. And I'm like, wait, like they, they could run the ball. Couldn't they? And then you, you go back and look at the numbers. It's like, wow, Frank really struggled during the first three weeks of the season. And then to come into this game on a bum ankle, um, and have 127 yards on 15 carries. And he had a couple where he just made dudes miss with nasty moves in the open field. I think his first 40-yarder on the, the first series of the game or in the first quarter. Yeah. Um, he just completely dusted a safety. And uh, yeah. and it was nasty. Um, so, you know, Frank Gore isn't somebody who's who's always remembered for big long runs. Yeah. Um, but doing that on on a bum ankle, scoring the game winning touchdown, sealing the game in the fourth quarter, uh, it was very very much an embodiment of who Frank was for the team, and and uh, and you could see it with the way everyone was reacting to to what he was doing in the second half. Yeah, he he had sixteen hundred yards, five yards shy of seventeen hundred in two thousand six. Two thousand six, uh, his wow. first season way as off. a starter. Bad job but, by me. But the 1,211 yards he had this season were his third most uh, for a season in his career. And you mentioned his uh, low yards per attempt through the first three games. Over the next 12, he averaged 4.8 per carry. Wow. And and scored seven of his eight touchdowns on the year uh, over that 12-game stretch. And then he was really good in the playoffs, too. Uh, averaged 5.6 yards in a, per carry on uh, 29 rushes. So big shout-out to Frank Gore, MVP of this one. Yeah. And rock with it. Um, not surprisingly, uh, one of the nicest dudes I've ever I've ever covered. I've I've heard really good things. I've never met him, but yeah. um, I've I've heard nothing but good things about Frank Gore from people who spend time around him. Hey, before we get out of here, would Michael Crabtree have been good in the 49ers offense now? Because Michael uh, Crabtree was like really sneaky good in this game. Really good at like he something he was so effective at was catching the ball away from his body. And then just not going down, he was not particularly str- uh, like like fast or quick, but he he j- he was really hard to to get on the ground. 
And I was just kind of wondering if that was a product of just this offense or if he was actually underutilized and the Niners now would get more production out of him. Your thoughts? I just spent the last 20 seconds Googling uh, Michael Crabtree's three cone to see if it was seven seconds or faster to determine whether or not he would be good in Kyle Shanahan's offense. Adam, babe. Um, I'm just Your findings, please. I'm I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Um, Was it, though? (laughs) You definitely uh, you you hang on. Can I can I tell you exactly what you just Googled? Yeah, uh, Michael Crabtree spider graph. Well, so I go to mock draftable because <laughs> I have the spider graphs. I don't need to I don't need to Google spider graphs, but I did go to mock draftable. He did not um, do anything at the combine. Uh, but so anyway, um, would Michael Crabtree be good in Kyle Shanahan's offense? I think he would, um, because too. he was a very good route runner. Uh, I think the athleticism, like, and I'm not comparing him. I'm not, I'm not saying Kendrick Bourne is like Michael Crabtree, but I think the athleticism and the route running is sort of similar in that they're not like straight speed guys. They're not crazy quick, but they, they are crafty and good route runners. I think Michael Crabtree, 2011, Michael Crabtree would be really good in Kendrick Bourne's role. Um, would I Michael th- Crabtree be like the Jerry Rice of Kendrick Bourne's? Michael Crabtree would be, I don't want to, that, that's, that's a lot. Jerry Rice is a lot. I'm trying to think of like, who's a good receiver. Um, Michael Crabtree would be. Oh man, this is a, this is a tough one. I know. I want to, jeez. Uh, would he be the Adam Thielen? <laughs> uh, yeah, you could say. How about how about the Michael Thomas of Kendrick Bournes? Okay, that's fair. Michael Crabtree would be the Michael Thomas of Kendrick Bournes. You should tweet that and see what people say. Um, or come up with your own. Yeah, I think Crabtree would be good. Um, I don't know that Crabtree would fit in the 49ers locker room all that well. Sure. Um, I don't think he was a great fit. Uh, you know, like 2014. Uh, ahead of his exit in 2015. Um, yeah. You know the Niners uh, prioritize culture, Kyle? Have we talked about that? No. <laughs> yeah, they prioritize culture. I don't think Crabtree would have fit in from that standpoint. He's not the type of, of dude the, the Niners would like now. But uh, I think from just purely between the lines, I think he would be really good in that Kendrick Bourne role. Okay. I like that. I can I can deal with that, and I accept that as an answer. Because if you had said no, we would have had to argue. Who do you think? Who do you think? If you could take one player, I mean, I I guess it would have to be. Actually, no. There were a lot of really good players in that Niners defense. If you could take one player from that Niners defense and add it to this one, oh man, who would it be? Oh. I feel like it has to be Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman just because I think their skill sets fit so well with what the Niners do now on defense or what teams have to do now on defense with their linebackers. But Mm -hmm. the Niners have a really good set of linebackers. So I I think it would be a waste to, to use one of them. I think Justin Smith would be great. Yeah, like I think, I think if Justin you put, Smith at the three tech. Yeah, if you nasty. play Justin Smith at the three tech or the four eye, like that would be 
that would be pretty nasty. Even like, so that's the, a, that's what I, that's what I'm going with. Justin Smith. Yeah, I think I think that's my final answer. Alden Smith, like nineteen and a half sack, two thousand twelve. Alden Smith would be pretty bananas with Nick Bosa too. Yeah, that'd be scary. Uh, I worry a little bit about Alden Smith though, sans Justin Smith, because his production fell off so badly in twenty twelve after Justin Smith got hurt. Yeah, Alden Smith also, um, uh, I think, was it shoulder surgery? He had surgery after the Super Bowl. Yeah, Justin Smith got hurt uh, against New England. And from that game on, Alden Smith had zero sacks. And six quarterback hits in six games. Torn labrum uh, for Alden Smith. Oof. During, at, that he played through in in 2015. So I think, I think it's a combination of both. Justin Smith had the bicep. Was it biceps or triceps? Triceps. Triceps. Yeah, all the both of them were banged up. Um, but yeah, a lot of good players on on that defense. I think this secondary, this 49ers secondary right now is better. Um, I do too. That's why I, I there was nobody in the secondary who stands out like, oh, put Carlos Rogers on this Niners team. No. no. Yeah. I mean, he's he's probably better than um, Akello and and uh, E-Man, Manuel Mosley. Um, Trying to think. And like Deshaun Goldson and Dante Whitner couldn't play today. Yeah, that's true. They would they would draw. And that, that's not a no, that's a not game. a that's that's not a knock on them. It's just so much of what they did well right. was suited for an NFL that that let their style of play fly a little bit more. Well, we'll talk about the Saints playoff game whenever we do it. Um but Dante Whitner's hit on uh Pierre Thomas. Pierre Thomas. Yeah, I was going to say Pierre Garçon, and that didn't sound right. That's not him. Um, on Pierre guy. Thomas no uh, was a perfect example. He just It was completely helmet to helmet, um, and he probably would have been kicked out of the game yeah. uh, if that happened in 2019. I agree. Yeah, that's, uh, that's probably right. And just one example uh, of many of those guys not... Uh, probably flying in today's NFL. So yeah, Alden Smith, Justin Smith, one of the Smiths is probably the right answer. Uh, oh. The other, the other, the other thing that stood out in this one is the Niners defense laid hats. Yep. There are so many just like hits that kind of make you adjust in your seat a little bit because mm-hmm. it stings a little. Um. Yeah, that's definitely true. I just, I was going through my notes before we wrap this up. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one shot. I think it was, it was like a third down tackle for loss or something. Um, Jim Tom Sula and Jim Harbaugh are both celebrating <laughs> at the same time, but not necessarily with each other. <laughs> like Jim Tom Sula is Jim screaming Tom Sula something. celebrates with no one. <laughs> he's he's like screaming. The chaw is about to fly 20 yards out of his mouth. Um, I love it. And he's right next to Jim Harbaugh. And it was just a funny visual in that they were both like excited, but not necessarily the taco like taco meat standing on end <laughs> they weren't exactly like hugging each other and high-fiving they were just both really fired up in their own ways but obviously knowing what we know now about that relationship it was it was a funny visual i enjoyed it do we have anything else i don't think so what game are we gonna do next let's produce a show on the fly here yeah we've been doing that a lot with all these um that's fine 
2011. Uh, let's see what happens. Oh, this is Should we do the handshake game? Is that the next interesting game? Oh, yeah, it's right there in week six. Yeah, it's two weeks later. You don't want to watch the Niners beat the Buccaneers 48-3? to Uh, I'm, I don't think that's probably <laughs> I'm kidding. Necessary. I don't want to watch that one either. All right. Um, the handshake game, yeah. Handshake game. God, some of these scores are so funny. 20 to 10, 19 to 11. <laughs> I think 19 to 11 is the quintessential 49ers 2011 score. Yeah. 16 <laughs> to 6, 21 19. There was, um, like in the playoffs in 2013, like every game was, was 20 to 17 or 23 17, which was funny. Um, Typical Niners. Yeah. Yeah, let's do the handshake game. Great. And Can't we'll wait. spend we'll spend ten minutes on the game and forty on the handshake. Hell yeah. Alright. And maybe Bob Full Lang's haircut. Video Shout breakdown. out Bob Lang. Let's get get Bobby Lang on the pod. That's actually not a terrible idea. That would be it, it dude, I want three minutes of his time to ask him about the handshake. That's actually not a bad idea. So Bob Lang That's a is great the 49ers. Freaking idea. Bob Lang is the um Head of 49ers Communications, deals with the media and, and everything else. And he had a fantastic, curly, sort of long uh, hairdo that was just front and center during the <laughs> uh, during the handshake controversy between Jim Harbaugh and Jim Schwartz. And you just see Bob going, whoa, 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 trying to break it up. Um, Bob is not the tallest fellow. so And Jim Harbaugh is, I don't know, 6'3", 6'4", something like that. Um, so Bob inserting himself into that situation is epic and, uh, maybe we should try to get him on the pod. I don't know if he does appearances or, or speaks on the record, but maybe I could coerce him since this would be a subject I'm sure he's dying to talk about. And we're not trying to like break news or anything. I would just want to know from the perspectives of somebody who was on the field, what the hell happened? <laughs> Good call. I'll send him a text. Yes. <laughs> All right. Tell him, hey, you can drop my name. We've never met, but I'm a big deal. <laughs> you might have seen him. He's been in the press box. I've seen him around. I've definitely seen him. Never met him. Okay. How are you? I, I introduced nope, you to you, Bob. Nope, yes, I you did. Have not, you have not. You have not. I feel like that's not true. No, you've introduced me to uh, a guy who I think has left. Uh, you've introduced me to Nick Wagner. um hopefully we get to be at games in person this year and you can introduce me um i will okay that's our pod this has been the old rush thanks everybody for (laughs) listening our next old rush niners lions week six of 2011 coming up next week uh we'll dive into the wide receiver depth chart as well uh, next week so make sure to watch those on watch for those on your feeds if you haven't already subscribed do so now also toss a rating at us and a review uh, we really appreciate it that helps us out a lot as long as they are favorable to us so <laughs> uh, if, if they're bad those don't help us so um, yeah really appreciate you guys listening and we'll see you next week This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, 
but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.